Good morning, everyone. That's a little better. Good to see you all again. It's nice to be here this morning. Please take your Bible. Turn to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 20. Deuteronomy, chapter 20. I was going to crack a joke against Steve Wagstaff, but he's not here. (laughs) Well, you know that Steve works at the People's Church. And many have tried to understand his role at the People's Church and what he does and all of this kind of thing. Well, it's like this. I'm the pastor and Steve's the assistant pastor. Pure and simple, I'm pure. (laughs) He will get me for that. Promise not to tell him until you see him. Okay? Believe you me, I owe him several jokes. He is always playing tricks on me, right, Bob? Deuteronomy chapter 20. Uh, Please note, I'm going to read a few verses. I'd like to start at verse 1. This, of course, is a a passage of Scripture. Uh, It's not often read. You know, Deuteronomy is the second law. Uh, So I hope that you may be familiar with this. But uh, let's read the verses just in case uh, you haven't read them in a while. Deuteronomy 20 and verse 1, it says, When you go out to battle against your enemies and see horses and chariots and people more numerous than you, do not be afraid of them, for the Lord your God is with you who brought you up from the land of Egypt. So it shall be, when you are on the verge of battle, that the priest shall approach and speak to the people. And he shall say to them, Hear, O Israel, today you are on the verge of battle with your enemies. Do not let your heart faint. Do not be afraid. Do not tremble or be terrified because of them. For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. Then the officers shall speak to the people saying, What man is there who has built a new house and has not dedicated it? Let him go and return to his house lest he die in the battle and another man dedicate it. Also, what man is there who has planted a vineyard and has not eaten of it? Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in the battle, and another man eat of it. And what man is there who is betrothed to a woman and has not married her? Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in the battle, and another man marry her. Verse 8. The officer shall speak further to the people, saying, What man is there who is fearful and faint-hearted? Let him go and return to his house, lest the heart of his brethren faint like his heart. And so it shall be when the officers have finished speaking to the people that they shall make captains of the armies to lead the people. Just that far as we look at the, the rules or the principles of warfare in the nation of Israel, of course, Old Testament times. Let's bow for just a minute of prayer. Father, thank you for your word, and ask this morning as we go into it again, as we look at its pages and at its words, that you will speak to us. Help us, Lord, to draw lessons from these things that were given so many years ago to the nation of Israel for our own lives today, that we indeed might be prepared for the battle that faces all of us. We pray and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. A very few years ago, one of the major grocery chains in the province Uh, of New Brunswick and in the Atlantic provinces, got a new motto. And I refer to the Sobeys grocery stores. 
About 10 years ago, they adopted a new model. They're the only big grocery chain in Atlantic Canada that's maritime-based. They are out of Stellarton, on, uh, Nova Scotia. And their new motto is ready to serve. For the first number of years on all of their plastic bags that they put your groceries in, they had their logo, and then they had the little motto, ready to serve. If you go in the store, you'll see it. It's usually in green letters with a white background or a white background with green letters. And it's ready to serve. Uh, They were endeavoring, as a grocery chain, to be more friendly, to be more helpful, and uh, they wanted to be available to the customers. I believe they're still doing it. I don't go to Sobeys that often, but when you go through the checkout, usually the lady who is adding up uh, your bill will say to you, uh, did you find everything that you were looking for? And that is their attempt to be more friendly and helpful to the public. If you say, no, uh, there was one thing I was looking for I couldn't find, she will call somebody from the store and they will endeavor to give you an explanation as to why they didn't have it or uh, where it is on the shelves in the store. I want to talk a little bit about that in a different sense this morning. I'm not going to talk about uh, Sobeys anymore and ready to serve as far as serving people in a grocery store, but I'd like to talk about being ready to serve the Lord Jesus Christ out in the battlefield that we're called to serve in. Now, I know there isn't anybody here who has lived during the time of World War II. Uh, I, I won't point out any names. There's only one or two people here older than I am, and one is the chancellor and the other is the vice president. But, but uh, beyond that, <laughs> uh, and I know, I know they didn't live during the time of World War II. Probably uh, you might have heard this. Uh, my dad lived during the time of World War II. My father's still alive, and uh, two or three months, he'll be 92 years of age. And uh, he was conscripted and, and called to war. He said that there was a phrase during World War II. Uh, it was, there's a war on. And they had little stickers that uh, people would post everywhere saying, there's a war on. Now, there was a particular meaning to the phrase. I'm told that on the, on the windshield of every car, on the upper right-hand corner, just as now, usually on the upper left-hand corner, we have, you know... Uh, our inspection sticker, they had a sticker over on the right-hand corner that said, there's a war on. Now, it's interesting because uh, every time they took a trip, the uh, governmental officials wanted people to ask themselves this question. Is it really necessary for you to be traveling? Because there was a shortage on gasoline in those days. Not only was there a call for sacrifice for the soldiers who had to go overseas, But the people at home were asked to cut back, and they were asked to accept restrictions. Uh, My father, a number of years ago, gave me some very interesting stamps. They were uh, blue and orange stamps. He said one was for sugar, and the other one was for flour. Sugar and flour during the days of World War II were, were very scarce. And so the rich people had money, so they wouldn't go and buy up all they need so they didn't run out. You could only get sugar and flour by using these stamps that were issued to everybody by the government. So if you went into a store and you wanted to buy so much flour, sugar, you had to produce the stamp. You got so much sugar for each stamp. Very interesting, isn't it? The idea was there's a war on. And not only is it taking place in Europe, But people in North America need to make sacrifices. I said my father was conscripted. He showed up in Gagetown, New Brunswick, according to the letter that he received, and went through a bunch of tests. When he went through the tests, he was rejected. 
He was rejected because they said he had flat feet. That means really that he didn't have proper arches in his feet. And they told him that that would mean that he couldn't go over to Europe and France and so on and march a lot because his, uh, his feet and legs would be, would be very, very painful for him to do that. And so he was sent home and he was given a job. He was uh, given a certificate to be a teacher and he was a teacher in a primary school uh, to relieve the person who was teaching there so they could be involved in the war. And my dad, because he couldn't go over to Europe, had to be a teacher. My father often jokes uh, my father was one of 15 in the family, 15 children, never finished high school, quit early to help uh, survive and, and uh, work, you know, on the little farm that they had and grow vegetables and cut their own wood and, and all that kind of thing. So he quit, but he, he brings out the certificate every now and then to show off a little bit. I am authorized by the New Brunswick government as a public school teacher and yet uh, never went very far in school himself. It was all because there was a war on. I want to talk a little bit about that. I want to give some war talk this morning. Because in the passage of Scripture that we read, there are four things mentioned, four exemptions. Uh, You weren't qualified to go to war if four things uh, were in your life. And we'll look at what those four things are. They're really, really clear in the passage. It's not very hard to outline it because you can just outline it by these four things. And notice the first one. Now you get down to verse number 5. And it says, uh, When the officers shall speak to the people, saying, What man is there who has built a new house and has not dedicated it? That's not even hard to understand, is it? And look what else it says. It says, Let him go and return to his house, uh, lest he die in the battle and another dedicate it. And we can, we can all picture this. Here's a man, a, a new house under construction. And wouldn't you believe it? Right in the weeks or the few months that is required to build this house, before the house is finished, let's suppose it in, in terms of our culture, he gets a letter from the government and, and is called to, uh, he's being conscripted into the army that's being formed to fight the enemy. He goes and shows up to the recruitment officers and, and said, uh, I, I, I have an alibi. Did you know that uh, I am three quarters of the way building my dream home? I I haven't got it finished. I've never lived into it. You talk about a letter coming in poor timing. This is poor timing for me because my house is not finished yet. And then the officer would say, I guess you can call it if you want to, for compassionate reasons. He would say, well, we're not taking you as a part of the army. You go home and finish the house. Interesting, isn't it? Why someone would be exempted from active military service because the house they were building, they hadn't had time to finish it before they were called. We all know the little song, used to sing it years ago in Sunday school. I don't know if anybody sings it anymore. I'm in the Lord's army. Uh, Interesting song, isn't it? We are in the Lord's army, by the way. I think you know from the Word of God that that there are many, many uh, times in the New Testament where we're referred to as soldiers of Jesus Christ. We sing the, the song, and it gets an old song, Onward Christian Soldiers Marching as to War. In my small group, which I have in Woodstock uh, every Wednesday night, be there tonight, we are going through the book of Second Timothy. And I'm studying a little bit ahead of where the group's at. And Paul, uh, that's his last letter before, uh, before he was beheaded. And in the last few words that he wrote under inspiration, he said, I have fought a good fight. He realized that he was in a battle. 
last week, I was on the verse that we are to endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And in Ephesians, it goes on and talks about the spiritual battle. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. It's a battle out there. Not only do we battle against all of the philosophies of the world, all of us battle with our old nature. The flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And we wrestle against the devil, for he walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And if you value winning, we had better pay attention to the kind of a soldier we are. This connects to a little bit of what we said yesterday. You see, to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ, you first must dedicate your house. This guy had to go home and build his house, dedicate his house. You must dedicate your house. That's the verse we quote often. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It's wonderful to be saved. To have trusted the Lord as your personal Savior. Your destiny has been changed from heaven to hell. As one of the old songwriters said, it's done. The great transaction's done. I am my Lord's and He is mine. Saved and safe. And then most people just rest in it and do nothing. Saved and safe. There's a call for complete surrender. It's one thing to be saved. It's another thing to have a surrendered life to do the will of God. It's one thing to be converted. It's another thing to be consecrated. I would assume that you are converted or saved. I asked you, are you surrendered? I don't have it on this Bible. But a number of years ago, I was in a meeting where in the late uh, Jack Wordson, the founder of Word of Life, was preaching. And uh, as Jack so ably did, communicated the Word of God and was talking about giving your whole life to the Lord. And at the end of the service, he had these little things that were this square, sticky on the back, white paper and red words on it. And it said, any time, any place, anywhere. And if on that occasion you were surrendering your all to the Lord Jesus Christ, he was willing to give you one of those stickers, peel off the back, stick it in the flyleaf of your Bible, and sign it, and have somebody else witness that on that day, you dedicated your all to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not asking you to get a sticker, but it is important to dedicate your house. If your house is not dedicated, 
If you are not completely surrendered, you're not fit for army service or soldier duty. After World War II, you know, there was a lot of bombing that took place, particularly in England. And a group of German students volunteered to come over to help rebuild an English cathedral that had been pretty much bombed to the ground. They were uh, there for quite some time, and they got the cathedral back together. Out in front of the cathedral, there was a statue of, of Jesus with his arms like this. And under the statue of Jesus, there was a little plaque. It was, I, I suppose it was in brass. It was a brass color. I doubt if it was gold. And the words, come unto me. It was all based on that verse, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. The German students did a quite a good job in, in showing goodwill and good faith. And, and they got the building uh, put back together. But when it came to the statue of Jesus, the bombs had broken off both of the arms of the statue of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so they tried to, you know, find the pieces and, and to mold it and get it back and they just couldn't, uh, you know, being students and not having any training in those kinds of things, they, they couldn't get the hands back. So they decided that they would just cut everything off and make it smooth. He had no arms, but that they would change the inscription under the plaque or under the statue. And here's what they put under there. Christ has no hands but ours. Pretty fitting, isn't it? Isn't it scary sometimes to think that the work of the Lord Jesus Christ in this world is in our hands? It's in the hands of those that belong to Him. Now listen. We can't divorce sacrifice from service. Let's look at the second one. The second one right here is in verse 6. It says also, what man is there who has planted a vineyard and has not eaten of it? Let him go and return to his house lest he die in the battle and another man eat of it. Again, it's not a difficult scenario to to understand, is it? Someone has planted a vineyard and and, uh, the vines haven't yet started to produce grapes. It takes a few years and he hasn't eaten uh, off of the vines that he has planted. He hasn't had the first crop of grapes. And he pleads his case to the recruitment officers and says, uh, I planted a vineyard. I never even got any wine off of it yet. I haven't had any grapes off of it yet. Say, go home. You go home. Now, I know you have your Bible on your lap. Would you turn to Leviticus chapter 19? Because it tells us how long this process was of planting a vineyard and getting grapes. How long of an exemption would a guy get from military service? Leviticus 19 and verse 23 will help us out. Leviticus 19, 23. It says, When you come into the land and have planted all kinds of trees for food, uh, then you shall count their fruit as uncircumcised. That means don't eat it right away. Three years it shall be as uncircumcised to you. So even if this little vine produces a little bit of fruit during the first three years, don't eat it. Don't eat it. It says it shall not be eaten. Look at verse 24. But in the fourth year, all its fruits shall be holy, a praise to the Lord. So whatever's on the vine in the fourth year, you don't eat it. It's, it's holy to the Lord. 
it's the Lord's. And look what it says now, verse 25. It says, and in the fifth year, you may eat its fruit, that it may yield to you its increase. I am the Lord your God. So imagine, somebody is called up for war, and just before the, a while before the letter came, he had planted some, some vines, and he's growing some grapes, and he, he says, oh, oh my sakes, I just planted a vineyard, I'm just getting established in business, I just planted some vines, and I got a vineyard on the way, and, and I haven't yet seen the first crop. You can go home. Because it took five years before he would eat. He had a five-year exemption there. Quite interesting. You see, the point, again, is this. To be an effective fighting force of soldiers, we need to be free from distractions. And the first guy going off to war said, Ah, I got a house back there that probably is supposed to be, be built. It's probably falling apart. It's not finished. I got vines there that I planted and, and never had a chance to really cultivate them. And, and uh, likely all of this uh, is going to be lost. Go back home. You're not qualified for service until you have tasted the fruit. If today we're going to accomplish anything for God, we first need to taste the fruit. You say, what are you talking about? Lots of different fruit is talked about in Scripture. But this is the one we'll emphasize. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Don't have to tell a Bible school crowd, do I? Pretty elementary stuff. Every child of God is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Every true Christian is indwelt by the Holy Spirit, permanently indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Our body is his residence, his home. On earth. And the Holy Spirit who resides within us desires to teach us and to lead us and direct us and guide us. And he, he prompts us and he rebukes us and he convicts us and he assures us and he comforts us. And he desires to make us holy. And we hurt the person of the Holy Spirit who indwells us when we sin. We grieve him. And we quench him when we don't listen to him. And follow his bidding and do what he says. When he is yielded to and allowed to fill and control us. And the Bible does say, be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. When we are filled with the Holy Spirit, wonderful, godlike fruit will be in our lives. Love, joy, peace, and the other six. One of the big challenges as Christians is to, is to learn to cooperate with the indwelling Holy Spirit as He speaks. He is the divine helper. He is the enabler. He is the illuminator. I don't believe we are, we're ready for warfare until we have tasted of the fruit of the Spirit. Love joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. You say, not much of that in my life. You're not ready for battle yet. Every believer senses a struggle. 
between the wishes of the old nature and the will of the Holy Spirit. To be used as an effective soldier of Jesus Christ, we must have tasted of the fruit. Okay? Watching the crazy clock. Okay, look at number six, verse six. This is the third one. It says, what man is there who has planted a vineyard? No, I've got to get down here further, don't I? Verse 7. It says, and what man is there who is betrothed to a woman and has not married her? <laughs> Here's somebody engaged. It says, let him go and return to his house, lest he die in the battle and another man marry her. Boy, that's interesting. I mean, I don't believe in luck, but like, can I just say this this morning? What a streak of bad luck. I mean, come on. You're just about ready to get married. The day just sat. Uh, she's got the wedding dress bought, I suppose. And, and this couple, hot in love, smitten with each other. And the letter arrives and he has to report for duty to go to war. She shows up before the recruitment officer and you can believe it. He's got a story to tell, hasn't he? I was planning on getting married next month. The guy can't get his mind off the woman he's going to marry. He loves her. Pleads for an exemption. How long an exemption would he get? Turn over to chapter 24, verse 5. We don't want to make it up. Chapter 24, verse 5 says this. When a man has taken a new wife, he shall not go out to war or be charged with any business. He shall be free at home one year to bring happiness to his wife whom he has taken. Woohoo! He got a year off. You see, the army doesn't want distracted, lusting, preoccupied people. Let me read this from Corinthians. It is good for a man not to touch a woman, nevertheless, because of sexual... <laughs> you like that part? Okay. I won't read it again. It's good. It says, nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife, and let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. That's what's going on here. That's what's going on here. A guy is engaged to be married, they're betrothed, and all of a sudden he gets called to war. In other words, listen carefully, it's all about no one qualifies for service in the army of the King of Kings until their moral life is in order and there's holiness in their life. The reputation the soldiers have is not good. They say about soldiers and sailors that they have a, a woman in every port. It's not supposed to be that way in the army of the Lord. Moral holiness is important. Whosoever looketh upon a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery already in his heart. Moral life is to be in question. It affects how you talk. How you talk about the opposite sex. It affects how you talk with your, your jokes. There won't be dirty talk. It affects where you go with your mind. Because as a person, as a man, thinketh in his heart, so is he. None of us will be useful soldiers of the cross 
if our thought life is in the gutter. It says that he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. We can't take the time, you know, we don't have much time left. But it says, the Lord said, be ye holy as I am holy, First Peter. It says in 1 John 3, referring to the Lord's coming, every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. It says in 1 Timothy 5, to flee youthful lusts. It says in Psalm 24, who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord or stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart. Ready to serve. Rules of warfare. Must have a dedicated house. Must have tasted of the fruit. Must have no unfulfilled obligations. Must have a moral life in order. Last one. Verse 8. It says, The officer shall speak further to the people, say, uh, Who is there who is uh, fearful and faint-hearted? Now, you know what that's talking about. That's just talking about courage, isn't it? Soldiers have to have courage. You have to be brave. You have to be bold. We all know about Canaan. We know that when the, the 12 spies were sent in and spy out the land of Canaan, I wrote down the verse. They came back and listened to the report of some of them. It says, Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. Their cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there, and we were like grasshoppers in their sight. Wow! They said, we're scared. It takes courage to serve Jesus Christ. Let me put it this way. Have you ever gone out on a witnessing team and stood on the streets of Fredericton or some other place with gospel tracts in your hand? Were you scared? Have you ever gone door to door and hand out New Testaments? I know years ago... That was a, one of the projects of the school to put a New Testament in every home in New Brunswick. You ever stood on the street corner and had a street meeting? Said you're scared stiff to do that. You know this? A lot of God's people are faint-hearted and scared. I'll have to wind her up with this story, but remember Gideon? <laughs> remember the Midianites? how they were coming in and Israel would plant the crops and the Midianites would come in and, and, and rob the gardens and they kept doing that and kept doing that and kept doing that. And God called Gideon. You remember the story of Gideon and the fleece, right? And then you remember how the Lord told Gideon to call an army and he called an army and, and he got a great big crowd that responded. Uh, the crowd, as a matter of fact, was 32,000. And the Lord said, it's too many. And it said the Midianites were as the sand of the sea. You couldn't even count them so many. Remember what happened? The Lord told Gideon to send everybody home who was afraid. And 22,000 of the 32,000 went home. Tozer's deduction. Many of God's people are filled with fear. We know it says in the Bible 365 times in the King James Version of the Bible, fear not. Someone made the comment, one uh, fear not for every day of the year. Those of you who are Americans know that President F.D. Roosevelt, in his inaugural address during the days of the Great Depression, said the only thing to fear is fear itself. Fear. 
here. The disciples were afraid. On the Sunday, after Easter Sunday, they all met in a room. It says, the doors being shut for fear of the Jews. They were thinking, they got and killed Jesus. They're going to come after us next. Fearful. You're going to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, you've got to be brave. Disciples were fearful, but something really happened, didn't it? Something really happened on the day of Pentecost. And uh, remember the lame man, the heel going in the temple? Remember how they spent the night in jail? And after that, they, the Bible says the crowd looked at them and perceived that they were ignorant and unlearned men. But I want to tell you, after they got rightly related to the Lord, you couldn't stop them. They turned the world right side up through the preaching of the gospel. I'm going to close with this. Everybody here knows Derek McKinnon, right? Derek teaches, he teaches English. Derek sent me this. He's always sending me stuff. He keeps me in reading material. He sent me this last week. This is a, a post from Friday, February the 10th. So you can see it's not very old. It's a ve- I, can't, I won't read it all. I just want to read a little bit. This is about courage. It says, A 12-year-old boy from Turkey whose family converted to Christianity has been beaten and abused by both classmates and teachers after revealing his newfound faith. But the boy says he is happy to suffer for Christ. Now, not reading the whole story, the boy uh, was going to school wearing a cross around his neck. He said, now here's what he said about that. He said, it's not the physical cross that's important. It's the meaning of the cross that is important. It is a beautiful thing, the boy explained in the report. I wanted people to ask me about it, and then I could tell them about Jesus Christ. As Hassan uh, began going with his father, Hassin, to church and started wearing his cross to school, his classmates began spitting on him, calling him names, and physically abusing him. One more, two more sentences. The religious teacher at school said the beatings were allowed. The principal and the parents agreed that he should be beaten. Hassan? is a good soldier of Jesus Christ. That's in Turkey. A civilized, what, Muslim country. In the south, it borders on Syria. It's not far from Israel. Look up at me for a minute. Ready to serve? Ready to serve? Dedicated house. Tasted of the fruit. Moral life in order. Have courage. Those are the Old Testament rules. 
for being a soldier in the army in Israel. They're no different for us today. The Lord's looking for good soldiers in his army. Want to be one? Are we playing games? Are we here to prepare for service? Or because mom said we should come? Are we serious? Is this a life mission that we're on? Is this training to get us ready? Think about it. Father, thank you for your word. And the Old Testament illustration here in Israel about the qualifications to be a soldier. Oh God, I pray that all of us will seriously consider our lives in the light of your word, that we may be good soldiers of the cross, that we may bring honor and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ, that we may go out in this world seeking only to please you, that one day we will hear, well done. We ask your blessing upon the students today. In Jesus' name, amen.